You're listening to the Will Academy Podcast. This is episode 114. Hi, Will Academy Podcast listeners. Thanks for tuning in to yet another episode of the Will Academy Podcast. And this is episode 114. In today's episode, I will be joined by John Parkinson. He is based in the UK and runs a textile recycling business. In particular, he recycles mainly old wool garments and turns them into recycled wool yarn that can be then used to knit something or also to weave a new recycled product. And he's a, yeah, a whole life of experience in the recycling textile business. He has lots of great ideas and how to turn the textile business into a more sustainable one. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and I'll talk to you again at the end. Enjoy and bye for now. Today I am being joined by John Parkinson and I've actually never met John personally. So I'm, I'm really delighted to have him on the podcast today. Hello, John. How are you? Hello. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, it's wonderful to have you. And I would like us to kick things off by you giving a short introduction about yourself. Um, okay, well, uh, it, it's kind of strange because it just feels like it's just little old me. But um, I am um, born in Yorkshire in England and um, I worked in the family business that we'll talk about um, in, a, in a little while. Um, just went to sort of school and, and, and left school, so I didn't do any studying then. And uh, later, when um, when I was older, went back to study and um, ended up in a teaching role for uh, 15 years and did some more studying. And that's kind of where the, the doctor title comes from. But I did that when I was working, so I was studying and working at the same time. And I know it can seem a bit like pretentious with the doc. But I work so hard for that. I just use it now. I just, just, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. But it's in a totally different thing. Um, so our interests, just gardening, working, vegetarian, vegan food, that kind of stuff. Okay. So should I call you Dr. Parkinson throughout just, this interview? Just call me John. This is step. <laughs> yeah. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, so you own a company called Inuyo. And you only recently started this company. And tell us a little bit about uh, what the company name stands for, because it's a little bit unusual. And then also what the company actually does. Okay, yeah, it is. Inuyo is a, is a, is a little bit strange. And I'm not sure whether you know, the, the marketing people would say, nobody knows what you do with it. Nobody knows. But um, kind of our... Uh, reason for choosing it was because 30 years ago we had a business doing a very similar thing uh, called Evergreen and um, in, in, in those days uh, we, we, we managed to trade with people and, and things uh, were doing quite well before we had a fire and had to close but um, we never thought we'd return for that that was 1995 and we never thought we'd go back to our passion to something we love and believe in that unfinished business you know that that itch that won't go away. And um, so we, we th that was one reason. How do I get that in my word? Because the evergreen name was Evergreen Recycled Fashions. Just as bad, you know? 
Um, and I couldn't think of it. And also the other thing was about the kind of, the, pre the problems we've got in the world now with COVID, but before um, when, the, when the sort of, it was in the news around the problems with climate change and doing things differently. And um, I guess we wanted to just sum up, well, let's just start to make some changes because there's always a chance to, to, to make things better. And I always tell the kids, they're not kids anymore, they've grown up, mm-hmm. you know, give in, never, you know, never give in, keep going, you know? And um, so I have a little saying in, in my Yorkshire accent, it's never over till it's over, which means it is never over until it's over. And uh, so that's where it comes from. It's an acronym. It is never over until it's over. And that's, that's so it, and here we are stuck and we, we, that's where we are. <laughs> we're new. <laughs> the, the company's house accepted it as a name. They said nobody else would want that name. You can have it. So, uh, so here we are, and here we are. And what does the business do? So the, the business is involved primarily with um, textile recycling. So we, we, we get um, textiles which are both pre-consumer, so factory waste, and post-consumer, which is the kind of donations that people give to charities and put through the, 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 uh, the bins that are around, around and about. Um, and we buy that from the charities. And that's kind of all the current range that we have is all around post-consumer. And we take that in and we sort it for colour. So when we reprocess the material, we're recycling the colour as well as the fibre. We have to take off all the contaminants. So the buttons and the zips and the labels. And we're trying to do things with those too. We're, we're working on all sorts of ways in which those are a reusable commodity we don't see it as a waste we just see it as a resource that we haven't quite figured out yet what to do with um, and when we've got the materials what we call cleaned so the, the the waste taken off going into the colors that we need we put them through a machine that shreds it back to fiber so we call that pulling that's the old term but shredding people would understand uh, and once we've got it back to a fiber state so this is this is, ah, you have a sample, great. Yeah, so this is all the reds made, and you can see the threads still in there, so it gets uh-huh. it to a semi-fibrous state. I always smell, don't know why, I always smell it, and it smells nice too. Um, once we've got it into that condition, then it's ready for uh, blending with other materials, if necessary, and then putting through a, a, a carding process, which combs the fibres straight, gets rid of the threads into spinning, and then it's a good, it's a yarn, which is good for knitting or ready for weaving and finishing. And it's a cloth. And more recently, we've been experimenting with other things such as felt. So this, this hasn't really been done before with post-consumer waste. So making a felt material um, for what, what was old sweaters that have been thrown away and through this like magical wizard-like process it is it's just like watching a magic show it's fabulous how can how did the people think to make those machines that would do the work it's just fabulous um and and we get felt and we get yarn and and all the the materials that we get from it so um that that's what what we we've done for this current range but we're also talking to um other manufacturers about reprocessing their waste for them so they can get closer to a zero waste um, uh, way of working. And then we can either use the materials in our blends or provide it for them to offer us a new product, um, as well as take back schemes with some retailers as well, that we can uh, work with their 
um, materials back from customers and, and then they're, they're taking a responsibility for what they've made, not just when we've sold it, that's, that's it, that's ours. So just fabulous start to a very new business. And those are the things that we're involved with in terms of manufacturing, but we're also working with universities on research projects, projects to uh, not just take the heritage of what we've got, the tradition and all the old stuff, um, 200 year old industry, but to take the best of that and then use technology and the you know, bright young scholars that are out there, work with them and try and keep the skills, but build on them and make them even better. Yeah, so right now you have uh, knitting yarns and the felt, and do you also produce yarns for more industrial, like weaving then, or is that something in the future? No, we, we've, we have um, yarns for weaving too. Um, so the, the, the knit yarns, which are like going for hand knitting, because we tend to be on the, on the um, heavier end. Uh, there are some limitations with some recycled fibers that they're uh, shorter and, and not as uh, standardized in length. So um, it tends to be heavier yarns, but we've made fabrics from all the different colors. So we have we've made eight standard shades, which represent the colors here, that's it. So those are for knitting, but they all coordinate and work together. And the, the, um, the challenge was in the, in the old days, we'd saw 40 or 50 standard shades from the consumer waste. But um, if we'd have done that, we'd have had too many shades for what we were able to start off with. So the, the challenge for us was, how can we get that into a manageable amount? So I've got a big bale with all the colors that you could possibly think of. And I had to get that into eight or set, we did get it into eight shades. And uh, so you've got the dilemma, you've got the Christmas jumper with green and red and white. And, well, which one does that go in? Uh, but I had to make a decision against all my instincts, you know, and in the old days that would have been over dyed black using chrome dyes, heavy metals, not great for the water the last thing that we want to do, but that's what used to happen to it. Um, so we had to make a decision and we went through um, over a ton and a half of post-consumer waste and not one garment was left over. Everything had a home. And the idea too is that we could do the same again and we would create the same colorways and the same qualities all over again. Um, so th th those were some big challenges, but we did. Um, back in the old days, we made blankets, with, so you could make big sort of rugs with that. This is another one we made for a car company that uh, wanted rugs for their cars. So there are lots and lots of different um, ways in which you can work with materials. That's a rug made from the range now that we're producing. Um, you have a whole showroom uh, behind your camera. So I've, yeah, I've got also. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of. I'm running out of tricks now. But I've still got one or two things. Everything you're going to pull up, you're going to pull a rabbit out of that. So um, I, I thought I'd just get a few things around me. I had, to sh I, I had to show you this. This is gorgeous. This is what we call candy floss. Anyone and when when the when the um, the recycled wool, which we call shoddy, it's the old name for it. But I mean, people think shoddy is a bad name. I, 
I don't know where, <laughs> I don't think it describes it, but it's the kind of traditional word. And this is the candy floss anyone. So this was all the pastel shades. And when it's gone through a carding machine to comb it, this is what it looks like. Yeah, it's a wonderful color. People have been, um, who are hand spinners and hand weavers have been using that to make um, materials. And we've never had hand spinners and hand weavers working with that kind of material before. And they've made some beautiful textured yarns, sometimes using their old, own wool and, and, and mixing it in. And sometimes making hand knit yarns and then hand knitting and hand weaving. Mm, beautiful and it's it's a really kind of difficult thing because they used to, on the hand on the old looms the old the, and the old spinning wheel, uh, wheels they used a long fiber not the recycled stuff so it's it's kind of involved them rethinking how they work with the spinning wheels so it's been fabulous to be involved with all that stuff too and the craft sort of side of the business even though we work with industry too the craft side of the business is really important to us and it gets us talking to people who are as passionate as we are that are doing real life things. And so what happened to the, yeah. And what happened to that Christmas sweater? Now I'm curious, like where did it go? So the, the Christmas sweater will be in, if it, if, it, if it was predominantly red, it'd be in there. If it was predominantly green, it'd be in the yarn we, co we call Giddy Grazing. And all the yarns have these crazy names. Yeah. Some of them relate to places that were in the what we call the heavy woolen industry district where the industry first started. Uh, little towns got like Batley and Dewsbury. So we have Daybreak in Dewsbury, which is a blue colour, and Bedtime in Batley, which is a very dark colour. Uh, they're just reminders of the, that heritage and those kind of stories. And that there's a there's a great old story from. Um, the early 1800s, when a, guy, a man called Benjamin Law first went down to, he was a, a, a woolen manufacturer and Batley was just a small hamlet then, it was a very small town, but he was making uh, wool cloth and he went down with his partners to a sale in London on Bartholomew's Day to try and sell his wares with his agent and his business partner. And he went into a saddler's and he saw this kind of fiber coming out of a, a, a saddle. And like most of us do, when we get out of this, start twisting it round our feet. Oh, I might be able to spin this, you know? And um, he asked the saddler, could he get a bale delivered? When he found out the price, he did, very cheap. And in secret, he, he practiced with this material. And uh, over a long period of time, he developed making good woolen cloth with old clothing, but he kept this really thing, really secret to himself, and even broke ranks with his agent and his cloth manufacturer, so they didn't find out. And uh, he manufactured this until he started to be wealthy. He didn't want people getting to know, so he wanted his son to go to uh, America to sell it. And his son went there with a, a consignment and sold it, did very well, came back, a hero in the family, and uh, I'll tell you what, we'll make everything now that we've got in the warehouse and we'll, we'll fill a ship full of stuff and send you over. But we're not sure why he didn't want to go. But apparently his son, John, didn't want to go and said, if my father, Benjamin, makes me go, I shall not return. And he didn't. Oh. He went. And Benjamin followed him over. And uh, 
never found him. He went to where he docked in New York and he asked a few people about his son and they said there might be, there was someone here with a strange accent like ours, like mine, like his. Uh, but he went down to New Orleans and when he, when he checked it out, New Orleans had yellow fever raging. We don't know whether that took him. We don't know why he didn't want to return. Perhaps it was a girl he didn't want to leave in Batley or a girl he didn't want to find in New York from last time. There's always, there's always that. Um, but he never returned. And Benjamin was a broken man. He came back home and couldn't continue. And so all the other manufacturers in the area um, discovered his secret. And over 200 years, um, the, the, what we call the shoddy and mungo trade, textile recycling, the first circular textile economy in the world, had hundreds of rag merchants, so people sorting into different colours, and shoddy manufacturers, textile recyclers, making for woolen manufacturers, people making yarns and cloth, who were using recycled wool instead of new wool. But they weren't telling their customers much about that. Uh -huh. They were using it. Um, so um, so the, 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 uh, the heritage and tradition over this particular region we call the Heavy Woolen District in Yorkshire has built up over many years. But disappointingly, or a kind of irony in this time of interest in the circular economy, the last after having hundreds and the first mills here, the last one closed in 2000. And uh, so when we reintroduced in New York, getting back to your original question eventually, um, when we reintroduced it in New York, we realized actually we could be either the first of a new generation or the last of, in the region to, to be here. Either way, it's an honor to be part of doing what we do. So that's great. <laughs> yeah, and you already talked a lot about like the heritage, but also, and you mentioned Evergreen before. So talk a little bit about that business and, and your family's history with recycling. Okay, so uh, my father started uh, his own business in 1970. And um, before then he was working for some other mills just as a salesman. And um, in seven years later, I, I was working with him full time, but used to go in the holidays and weekends as a, as a kid. And um, we were just recyclers of textiles selling to the woolen mills in the, in the, in the area. Uh, but the mill started to close because competition from overseas and changes in fashion. So uh, synthetics were... Uh, being worn more and more. Um, people didn't have woolen blankets on their beds. They had polyester duvets and we had warmer homes and cars and all that kind of heating in the cars, all that stuff. And uh, so we found ourselves with very few customers and um, dad passed away and it was left to me, what do we do now? And um, just at that time in the end of the eighties, things like recycled paper was starting to get a little bit of traction and people were choosing that instead of new paper, this might be a more responsible choice. And it just occurred to us, well, so maybe that's the same for us too. Maybe we just not, maybe we should just be doing things a, a bit different and marketing what we do different. So we went to those woolen mills and said, what about it? We've got this idea. And they just said, oh, we've been keeping it quiet for 200 years. John, park your lad, you know, keep it quiet and uh, don't rock the boat. But one or two manufacturers were prepared to work with us. Eventually we 
uh, introduced our own carding and spinning. Um, I started a business called Evergreen, uh, which was doing very, very similar work to, to what we're doing now. But 30 years ago, the, the mood, the awareness of, of having to do things different was very different. And we didn't have social media or internet. So it was amazing, really, that, that uh, people found out what we're doing. But they did. And we had some great customers, Esprit with a e-collection, um, uh, which lasted the five years we were, we were going between 1990 and 95. And um, some of the mail order catalogues like Friends of the Earth and Greenpeace, World Wildlife Fund for Nature, lots of artisans and designers, small scale, some high street, Debenhams, Tesco's. So we, we, we you know, enjoyed uh, doing all that. And we were able to, um, here's, here's another one. I prepared earlier. And we kept this. This has survived floods and fires. So this is an, an, an evergreen shade card. And at that time, we were making recycled wool and recycled acrylic, the recycled wool, recycled wool and cashmere, recycled cotton and wool, recycled denim, hemp, and um, those are all hemp, and one with some recycled polyester. So we had quite a range of different, different yarns. And uh, one of the most exciting still is exciting was recycling denim mechanically which was new then and also quite new then was polyester from plastic bottles um people hear about that quite a lot now but it was one of the first firms in yorkshire that was working with that and it occurred to me well we've got, got denim and plastic bottles so just imagine this is levi's and coca-cola two of the most marketable products in the world shredded up and made into a lovely jumper to go with your jeans. What a great idea that is. And, and, and we're just really working that nicely. Uh, but that, that's the one that caused our, our fire to, because denim being cellulosic plant-based is really volatile when, when any heat's generated in the shredding. And uh, I wasn't at the mill that day. I was in London on a business trip, but they had a fire and they couldn't put it out. That, that's, that's kind of, that was the brightest star we thought we had that, 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 that collapsed. Yeah in 1995 um, and we were involved then with uh, early stage uh, research with uh, various research organizations and working with university students uh, so the education was really important to us which we've carried into the Inuyo brand um, along with the arts as well and we're currently working with a theater maker and a, a documentary maker to kind of educate people around textile recycling, the, 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 you know, there's the whole heritage of what we do, as well as how does that fit into the modern world? People hear about fast fashion and all this kind of stuff, but to, to understand a little bit more deeply about all the things that are involved, we feel as though it's, if we know that stuff, then we, we should be allowing people to, to, to share that knowledge and, and you know, and, and make their own choices with clothes too. So, um, the arts and education and research are really important parts of the brand. It's not just kind of making stuff, even though that's that's the kind of the, the real test and what we love doing. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And you already took us in the beginning of our talk a little bit through the recycling process of the shredding and cutting, but can you maybe kind of widen the process? Like also like, like who is involved that you get your you know used clothes from and and kind of not just your business from of recycling but like how it's embedded in the wider context 
yeah and it's so different now in the in the um the evergreen days 30 years that was the end of the trade but you we would be able to buy from rag merchants in those days that were collecting from what was called marine stores like scrapyards and also that that i don't know whether you 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 know rag and bone men people that walk the streets with a with a cart and they used to shout any rag and bone and people would come out of the houses with their scrap clothes and they'd get a goldfish or a little, the kids would get a treat or something. Um, and all these are going to these big marine stores or collection points. And specialist rag merchants would sort and grade them into different um, qualities and colours. As mentioned, the colours before, but they could even grade them into different qualities. So the heavier, coarser knitwear would be called stockings. They weren't all stockings, but they called them stockings. It was just knitwear. And the fine, really fine lambswool merino were called Berlins. And I don't know why they were called Berlins either, but they always were the fine ones. And that was the, and then there was, apart from the knitwear, they were woven. So clothing, jackets and skirts, and that was all called serge. Once again, I'm really not sure why, but it was always called serge. And from the factories, at that time, there were lots of textile factories in the UK and abroad. Um, so there'd be tailors clippings, from, the, from making the, the bespinning waste, waste from the carding, waste from weaving from every stage of production. And all that could be graded into different qualities and colors for specific jobs too. So it wasn't a case of just throwing a whole load of stuff and it comes out a gray mix. There was a, a real skill and design in, in using particular materials. Now in the Inuyo days, we haven't got the number of UK manufacturers and we're very keen on collecting from within the UK, working with UK's waste material here and offering it back to the UK, internationally as well. But that local idea of keeping things closer together just makes sense. And um, so the rag merchants are no longer there because the, the trade has gone and there aren't any um, shoddy manufacturers left. And so a few woolen manufacturers and the few woolen manufacturers that are left are not working with this material. So we had to go direct to somebody that collects in from charities to get our uh, particular material. And similarly, there are a few factories that are in tailoring and in knitting still around. And um, as and when we get orders where we can use that material, then we can source that material from textile factories that are making a, way, a waste that would otherwise go to landfill or perhaps be sold on for export and have all that carbon footprint of going halfway across the world. Um, so that's kind of where we get our materials from. Another dilemma, well, we haven't got the carding and spinning. We haven't got the pulling. Where do we get that done now? And uh, it's a, another irony that the pulling, the shredding process that was our speciality, there isn't anyone left. So we have to use people with similar machines used for a different process and change some of the settings to get the material shredded. We're trying to work with um, other companies and looking at funding and maybe we'll end up with our own. That would be great. That's a pipe dream. That's a world, I don't know, maybe a crowdfunding, maybe something later on. And, um, and then we were looking at some of our old friends were still in business from all those years ago. So we were making, reacquainting ourselves with people who could, card the material and spin it and weave it 
and all, all the rest of the processes, but the infrastructure in Yorkshire now is so small, there are so few people that we, we're concerned that if one link out of the chain was, was to disappear, um, then that would make it even more difficult for us. But given that we've given ourselves a name like it's never over till it's over, well, we've got to keep going whatever happens because we, we've kind of done that to ourselves now. So um, we'll find a way and there always is a way, but um, that's kind of where we fit into the manufacturing process uh, today and, and, and in, the, in the region that we are today. And we could have looked further afield. Textile recycling happens in other parts of the world now. But back to that idea about, well, okay, we've got a lot of textile waste in the UK and we have a market in the UK. Why, it, it, you know, surely we should have our own recycling facility in the UK to manage that, to deal with that. And one day I'll convince somebody in government or some philanthropist to, uh, to help us make that happen. But how do you get the woolen garments? Because obviously people donate all textile garments to charity, but then how do you just extract the woolen garments? So the, the woolen garments have to be um, sorted out in the early stages. Um, so the bigger charities do that. The smaller charities, not so much, but the bigger charities would separate the different grades and keep the wool knitwear separate to, to, to everything else because the other things the shirts and even the uh, underwear and t-shirts sportswear clothes handbags uh, would all be uh, if they weren't sold in the shops which is quite a small part of, of, of that would be exported as a rewearable commodity or used for upcycling possibly for making new things um, but there are times when the garments are not suitable for that. They have stains and buttons missing and they're not suitable for rewearing and it's time to reprocess them back into something else. And so those materials, um, we're able to, um, to, to, we have to buy those because they have a, a, a value um, for the charities. So we're able to buy those as a separate item. We can recycle lots of other types of materials, but given that, um, wool recycling was our heritage. Wool is the, is the heritage of the area that we came from. And I suppose thinking as well about, and sometimes you do have to defend the materials you're using or explain at least why. Wool was a, we were lucky that wool was one of the easier ones in that it's a natural product and that it, albeit uh, when it decomposes, it releases some gases, but at least it does decompose unlike synthetics and, and so we we decided to use to stick with recycled wool because even though we recycled synthetics previously we weren't aware that perhaps the recycling process might release more microfibers into the atmosphere and do more damage than than, than could really so we'd like to be involved in making that recycling process more responsible safer and better and then perhaps it'll be worthwhile to look at other materials. But wool is kind of our, it, it, it's our, the, the, the fiber that we're most familiar with. It's the one that we love. It's the one that we're used to. And it's the one that the machines that we're working with were really designed for. They were designed for that long before synthetics uh, were ever out and about. And the machines that were designed for cotton are, um, used to be over the big hill called the Pennines in another county called Lancashire, where the cotton trade 
was there too. So we're, we're in the heavy woolen industry. Okay. And why is wool such a good fiber to recycle? Um, I, I think for all the reasons that I mentioned about the um, sustainability and the heritage, but also it retains a remarkable amount of its resilience. Yes, quite often you have to put a bit of new wool with it or new material with it for the luster and length that it might lose. But it's just amazing the, the, the qualities that it does keep and the natural qualities that are inherent, such as being flame retardant and thermal, all those kind of properties, it retains those. And to some extent, the garments that we work with have been treated for machine wash once one time, and it retains a little bit of that capability too. There is some shrinkage, a small amount, uh, sort of 10%, if you were to machine wash the materials, uh, but nevertheless, it, it doesn't shrink any more than that. So there are lots of qualities that, that wool keeps, um, even in a second life or a third life and beyond. So there's not necessarily a limit to how many times you could recycle it, providing that garments were coming in with other garments that were being recycled for the first time and you get the average of a blend of lots of different things. So it can carry on going around and around the cycle. Yeah. So you said that at the moment you are kind of the only one in the UK doing textile wool recycling. And then, of course, there's Prato, which is famous for textile recycling. What would be other hubs in the world who are specialized in textile recycling or specifically wool? The one that really springs to, to mind is uh, in India and mostly focused around the region of uh, Panipat in India. And a lot of the work that they do, they do a, a, a lot of different things, but the one big trade that they are involved with there is making blankets, which are multicolored. So it's just all the colors in there with a high wool content. And those blankets are often used for Uh, governments to store so if there's a disaster somewhere there are blankets ready good to go for people um, or in um, refugee camps and places where warmth and cover is, is needed for people um, way back um, when we had the, 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 the business my dad started we used to make those kinds of blankets and it was always in the quiet times so when the business was quiet the woolen manufacturers would put those into stock when it was a little cheaper to do it. And we'd use all the materials that we haven't been able to sell and everything would go in one really big blend. Um, we call them blanket blends too. And um, we'd layer all the materials like, like a cake all layered on the, on, the, on the floor next to the machines. And you put a little bit of processing oil on so that the fibers are teased, eased through the machine without too much dust and being cut. So you kept the fiber length and there's all sorts of summer secrets, some are not so secret, different techniques about how you layer the materials, how you blend different qualities, even how you present them on the machine. The, the way that you lay the materials on the conveyor belt, the position that you put them in, all this was kind of a skill and a craft. And we produced this blanket blend in, in quite big quantities. And it was always the blend that you, you didn't want to do because 
they used to throw the material onto the blend and the blends got higher than people and you had to spread it out over the top of your arms were really achy at the end of the day and there'd be about five tons of material and that all went for that purpose and that a lot of that trade went out to uh, to Panipat. I think they probably bought a lot of the old machinery that was um, in in the UK when mills were closing down and uh, they worked with huge amounts of material over there. Um, most of the recycled post-consumer rags that go out there have to be mutilated so they go through a machine that chops chops it uh, and i think that's mostly so that the garments can't interfere with the local trade that there is there as cheaper garments but they can be used to make these blankets and other materials so um, as i say that there are some really clever fabulous operations in Pratos, of course they, they got so clever and are so clever at what they do. They're real, they're, they're wizards as well, I bow to them. Um, but we don't have it here anymore. We don't have it in the UK. So um, the idea, our idea is that we'd like to reestablish that here. Um, and, um, but certainly collaborations with other people would be a, a great thing to do. It would be really important to us. We, back in the old days, we'd see it as competitors. And there's all sorts of stories about people following, waiting outside factories to follow the wagon with the bales on to see who was trading with who. And there's all that stuff. But that was then. And now we, you know, we need to work together and collaborate. We're on the same side of working with sustainable materials and recycling and wanting to do things better. So collaborations with other businesses that sh share similar values and similar techniques around the world would be a great thing to do even though we were kind of trying to work with the uk's issues yeah and i mean now the, the word you used it also before circular economy is is really uh in, in so many people are discussing it and we always say our oh, wool is such a wonderful fiber for the circular economy but then we have all these challenges like we just discussed that actually the economy or the you know the infrastructure for a circular economy has been lost so what do you think needs to happen so that we can really start having circular economies? Uh, if it's a case of taking old wool and making it into new yarns and fabrics, the, the knowledge, the skills, the passion, the lunacy to try it again is, is here in the, in, in the evergreen brand. And the, the people that um, used to be around have now retired and, 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 and long gone. And it is a kind of a responsibility as well that if we don't do this, if we don't keep this knowledge and this expertise and this infrastructure somehow, then it will be lost. And that would be a great shame. Um, so what we're trying to do, as I say, is, is to be able to um, find a way in which we can have the machinery and then there's no longer a question mark. It's no longer a, how do we do this? We can do this. This isn't a mystery, although some of the things might be a little bit secret still. It, it can be done. It just needs a, a you know, relatively small investment and all that can still be done here. And we can still keep all that processing. We can save our waste. We can not just save the waste, but turn it into beautiful things. That, types of things that I've been showing you and hopefully work with new generations who are brighter and cleverer than I am and will introduce a whole new better way of doing things and will market it in better ways than, than I'm able to do. Um, 
so all that opportunity all those possibilities are here right now and it just seems like a time of change you know you even see a few adverts now that you'd never see before on tv about sustainability and recycled clothing some of the high street retailers are, are working with and whether the current world events have made people think a little bit differently about how we need to live in the world it just feels like now could be a, a, a an amazing time to make you know something like like that happen and uh, so we're here and we're good to go and we're pushing as hard as we can uh, yeah, that's it. but it's no longer a it's no longer a question how do we do it where just yes it's everything is possible and and also to make the materials available for people to make that choice online in stores wherever they need to be when the we're able to at festivals and exhibitions so people can make the choice and the they have the information to make the choice and then it's down to all of us you know how do we want to purchase um and and not so much that look through all your old stuff away and buy ours. No, absolutely not. In fact, don't buy it. Don't buy it until you need it. And then think about it. You know, that's the, and, and once again, the marketing people will be shouting at me. No, you need to sell it. No, no. <laughs> There's, there are things that in life that make you rich and money's only one of them. There are other ways we, that enrich in our lives and we need to rethink how we do things. And uh, that kind of um, is also a different part of the New Year brand. It's, it's not just, selling the, the the stuff as we say it's trying to uh, allow people to um, join into in, in conversations with us that are important yeah and tell me um so one what is it in regards to wool blends so a lot of wool isn't 100 wool it's blended with synthetics or viscose how do you deal with those blends it's it's a real tricky one um the uh the good thing is that nearly all the knitwear that comes through has still got a label on. And so how far you believe the labels is just how far you believe the labels, but we have to take them at face value. And if we, and they've proven to be quite good because when we tested our uh, material, this first batch, it came out as 97% wool. So it worked quite well. So that's an 80 recycled content and a 20 new wool for the extra luster. So we achieved 97% wool. There's also the kind of, it's hard. You can't, I can't explain how I do it or what happens, but there's something about touch and feel and luster and a sixth sense or something that when you're sorting through materials, yeah, that's wool, that's wool. It's a bit dodgy, I'll have a look at that later. That's wool, that's wool. Oh, I'll have a look at that later. And then the later ones, we'll check out the labels, see what, what we think and a kind of a cutoff might be a 70 or 80 percent wool there's got to be some kind of if it drops below that then it goes into this can be used for something else into a different bucket that was into a different bucket and um, if it's above that then we can take it and with the materials that are 100 percent wool the average is coming out uh, quite high um, so yeah, yeah people talk about there are so many mixtures but with the experience of sorting, the time to look at labels, and yes, that time is labor and it's expense. And it means that a reclaimed yarn in wool might be about the same as a new wool because of the extra time and labor, but then that's how it is. Um, then we can work around all those things and with a little bit of tolerance uh, of um, what mixed fibers there might be in there. But it's a fascinating thing that all those labels 
are still on the garments. In terms of traceability, you've got it right there. If you wanted to uh, invest in the time to record all that, you've got where the, the where it was originated from, where the material, the garment was made, if not the yarn, um, what gender it was from, what size it was from, which retailer it was, the composition, the instructions for washing. In terms of traceability, that's quite good. If you wanted to take the time to log all that, and interestingly, we're just working with a university on doing a research project where we're just going to do just that and also look at the colour too. Um, so we're really interested in the idea that we've always just seen the bale of rags and thought that's a bale of old rags, but maybe not. Maybe there's intelligence, if that's the right word, or data in there that will tell us about our past habits and what we've done and how we've made things that might reinforce what we do in the future. Uh, yeah. which might include, do we really need to make something in canary yellow because it's this year's colour because it's going to be thrown away. You know, that's a real recipe for, for it being thrown away. So raises questions that perhaps we've never asked before. Oh, that sounds really interesting. So would you recommend that brands who are producing new garments also consider more like, do, does it really need to be a blend or can we also do something 100% wool? Is that, would you encourage brands to think about this? Yeah, just because it makes our lives easier. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, then um, then that's great. You know, if, if people are working with all wool, um, then that m makes our jobs so much so much easier, and it probably helps to um, helps to make the, the garments with one setting and, and and not all the complications that that, that can can arise that are manageable. Um, but we also realise that blending by blending you can have all sorts of different characteristics and properties for a, a, a textile products, clothing or, or otherwise, um, that makes it right for the end user, for the consumer that wants a mixture of characteristics and properties. So it's always, I guess, a compromise around all those and many other issues, but just would be great if in the design process, there's another element for people that haven't considered it before, and many might have, that what about the recyclability of this material, of this product that we're making? Are we, are we actually making this more difficult and more likely to be discarded? Or will it fit into this, you know, circular supply chain much better? And we'd cheer that on, we'd wave that on. And yes, please think about that. Uh, and that's all you can ask really design, designers to do is to, to make those considerations. And where those considerations don't happen or it's slightly different, as long as we're getting the material and we have the markets, we can make the materials fit. You know, mm -hmm. we can make the products, uh, the materials fit the products that they're going to be used for. So would you also be using a blend then in some way or is it not, not suitable for recycling? Um, yeah, we, we'd be happy to do that um, for, for, the, for the same reasons that we... If we were asked to make uh, something that uh, needed to be particularly strong, then we might have to consider how we would strengthen that material up. And it could be a blend of the fibers, possibly, but there are all sorts of other ways you could, um, you could work with, with that. So you might want to work with twisting one end of yarn with another end of yarn. One might be a recycled wool, the other end might be a, a flax or a hemp or an organic cotton or a tensile. Uh, or any of the other materials of PET, polyester from plastic bottles, if, you, if it was to a customer specification and there was a good reason for using it. Even better, 
if customers, when finished with that garment, sent it back and you got all that material back, you'd know exactly what was in it and whatever else you applied it to, you'd, you'd have the, the science behind it. So, um, yeah, blends, blends, you know, we'd be as uh, likely to use blends to make a particular product, to make the right product. And we're interested in working with new fibres that we haven't encountered before and we're currently um, talking to... Um, an organization that has a, a very lightweight plant-based fiber that's not really been used much before that doesn't take much or any pesticides and uh, fertilizers to grow so that's a really exciting thing to be blending that with the recycled wool and see what you know so sometimes it's not we find ourselves in the same position it's not born out of either laziness or just mixing things and not caring it can be out of a passion through textiles to go I wonder what, I wonder what, what if, if we blend this with this, what will happen? And that's just a joy to be working with that stuff. So the questions are often, uh, um, have a lot of very complicated answers underneath them. You know, they have, mm. uh, they have a lot of complexity behind them. Um, so it's not just black and white blend or not blend, but there's always a, a reason why you would make one or the other decision. The answer to nearly everything, it, it depends. You know, and the, yeah. the, the depends factor comes into to, to, to so much. Um, but the, having the conversation, which didn't kind of happen in, 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 you know, in the days when we had the business before, it didn't happen as, as much. And great that these conversations and conversations in uh, other design departments, whether it's designing yarns or fabrics or clothing or other textile materials, um, there are upholstery covering, coverings and lots and lots of other end uses for recycled wool um, thermal properties and you know for shuttering and oh, the, the it's it's amazing and even the buttons that get crushed in some of the processing uh, we've kept those and we're thinking about there's got to be we're missing something here you know um that they rather than being a, a, a frustration that we have waste and what do we do it's more of a just a fantastic opportunity to to work with materials like that yeah and now because i'm also a consumer not just a podcaster <laughs> um so my, i always wonder like when we have clothes that we no longer can use and i always wonder okay do i actually put it into the the you know donation bin because sometimes it's underwear or it's really t-shirts with big holes because they've been washed so many times they fall apart but would you recommend that i do also donate these into the or do i some things you just put into the normal bin like how give us some tips as a normal consumer how to help with the recycling business yeah i'd say always always um put it in the bin not the, the rubbish bin put it in the recycling bin um and there are so many uses for it uh, not always the same use that we're going to um, be applying but many many more and uh, it, there are still uses for the cotton shirts that maybe have a stain or a rip and uh, absorbent material um, and it's a long-standing uh, practice for these to be cut into squares and packed into boxes for industry to use as wiping cloths in engineering for people that might you know need to wipe their hands or wipe down machines and whilst they might end up in the bin then. They've had one more bite of being used before then. 
Um, and even after that, maybe there's a worth in them being used for, to generate energy and incineration or whatever. Um, there are some materials that can be used for upcycling to take the best parts out and make new clothing. The recycling part that we do, there's the shredding of the low grade material for mattresses and fillings in beds. There's the, uh, the blanket that for disasters and stuff like they do in Panipat. There's the finer material for the guys in Parato. Please put it in the bin and, and it, it'll go somewhere. It'll go to some use somewhere in, in almost all respects. Uh, there might be better ways of working with it and better uses, um, but it's a better choice than the bin because the bin means it's going into the into landfill. And if it's synthetic, it's going to take a long time to, um, to, to biodegrade. And if it's natural fibres, then there will be some gases from that. And you've, all that processing, all that water and energy it took to make it, that's it. That's the end of its usefulness instead of getting some more out of it. Um, so, yeah, please, um, please put it in the, in the recycle bin. Okay. Thank you for that hands-on advice. Um, I appreciate it. Now, I think we had a really good discussion and thank you so much for sharing all those different stories. If people want to find out more about Inui and uh, all the history of Evergreen, where should they go? Where can they um, find more? Sorry, they should visit um, www.inuio, which if you think it is never over until it's over, you'll spell it okay. I still do that. <laughs> double I-N-O-U-I-O, Inuio. Um, that's our website. Um, there's um, things on there about the history of textile recycling and the heritage. There's the news and blogs, but there's also our shop where you can purchase craft materials, yarns, fabrics. Uh, later this year, we shall have some knitting yarn kits and cloth, and we'll, we'll add to the, uh, the to the things that people can buy as we go along. And we're um, encouraging. Uh, uh, local stockists so uh, um, because we'll only get so far with our online shop uh, we'd like to uh, encourage stockists to get in touch with us so craft outlets and knitting organizations or hand spinning and weaving and uh, uh, other crafters and other businesses that are interested in different ways of working with us so um, that's where we can be found. We've also got uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we've been doing a lot of it ourselves and we're really just learning. We weren't brought up with it. We're doing the best we can. Um, but you'll find us on there and you'll find the best we can do on there. And we, 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 we love to, <clears throat> um, to see what other people have made and we love to get that material on the website with their permission. Um, and we're working with um, some students and other designers. And when their work goes on the website, we want to promote what they do too. Okay, well, I will also make sure to link to all these um, locations on the Wool Academy podcast website. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for your time. And I hope the business will continue successfully. Thank you very much, Elizabeth. Thank you. <laughs> I do hope you enjoyed my discussion with John Parkinson from It's Not Over Until It's Over. And if you want to find out more about John and his business, then head on over to the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 114. 
and there I will be linking to everything we discussed so you have it very easy and quick to find everything and follow up. Yeah, thanks again for listening and I will be talking to you again in around two weeks time. Stay safe and bye for now.